Peace in the time of trouble. Amen. Hallelujah to his name forever. I'm going to bring a different type of message tonight, I believe, than I have brought the last couple of nights, just as a little change of diet, but still the Word of God. Amen. Trust that what we say tonight will be an encouragement to us. Our faith will be stimulated. You know where people really pay the price, pray through, whatever that means, uh, pray, pray, pray until they get the answer. God is still working. Amen. Heard of a church down in Tyler the other day. Maybe you heard about it. Preacher down there prayed through. Somehow somebody prayed through and touched God, and all of a sudden in their regular meetings, blessing and power of God began to fall, and now they're having... Oh, it's going on weeks and six or seven weeks or more, and people are really getting saved, getting baptized in the Holy Ghost. No gimmicks, no exhibitions, no sensational stage plays, no, uh, no uh, well, sensationalism, you know, nothing dramatic, nothing that you'd learn in Hollywood or anything of that nature, just old times, singing, shouting, preaching, praying, people getting under conviction, coming to the altar and praying through till 12 and half past 12 at night and 1 o'clock in the morning. So they tell me, I got so hungry and I heard about it, I said, man, I'm going to take off a couple days and get down there and see what's going on. But some way I just didn't have the do-re-mi, I mean I didn't have the finance nor the physical strength to make it, so I just had to cancel it out. But you know, if you'll just keep going on, keep your plow in the furrow, and keep standing by the Word of God, God's able to touch the buttons, drop a trap door in heaven, and just disgorge the blessing down on us. Hallelujah. If we'll just keep on going on, pay the price, and obey God, He gives the Holy Ghost to them that obey Him. Wouldn't that be great if something like that would happen around Fifth and what's the name of seventh seventh and bluff? Wouldn't that be great? Yes, Praise the Lord in first assembly. Hallelujah. Now I don't mean to degrade or, de or, or, or or downgrade the wonderful blessing of God because the blessing of God is here, and I believe the will of God is being is being accomplished night after night. But I believe God's got a higher will for us, a little bit more for us, and I know Brother Eldridge is on the reach for it. I know he's longing and hoping and praying hourly. Oh, God, do it. Break through. Do something real wonderful. And it could happen tonight. Amen. Hallelujah. It could happen tonight. Our God is on the giving hand. He's in our midst. And I'm certainly, I don't have any set will that I'm going to get this sermon out tonight. It was the last thing I do. I can quit the sermon anytime God begins to move and demonstration and power of the Holy Ghost. So keep your hearts open. I want to speak tonight. Now you're going to find this in the margin of some old Bible too, but uh, I've got to preach what God shuts my mind up to. I'm going to preach on three unusual words in the Bible. These three unusual words depict three wonderful, blessed spiritual truths and they are also prophetic words they, are, they, they, they have a prophetic connotation that is they, they have a prophetic aspect to them uh, but uh, 
I don't want to confuse you. I want to make it simple and plain if I can. Three easy words. You've all heard them. You've all heard these words many times, and yet they are words. Uh, they are uh, proper nouns. Yeah, proper nouns. That's what they are. They're proper nouns. But they're not words that you ordinarily hear in daily conversation. In fact, uh, uh, some of the words you just very, very, very rarely hear. You might go for five or six years at a time and not hear them. And yet they're very important words. One of the words, I'll come to it after a while, we'll, uh, you hear it about once a year about Christmas time. But uh, the first word I want to talk about is Ebenezer. You ever hear the word Ebenezer? Yeah. Now, I don't want to embarrass you. Brother Eldridge knows because I think he heard me preach the sermon before. But he's a Bible scholar, and so he'd know anyway without me telling him. Uh, how many know what the word Ebenezer means? No, I, I'm not going to catch you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to make any smart remarks. How many happen to know what the word Ebenezer means? Well, you're going to know something when you leave here tonight that you didn't know before. You're going to know what the word Ebenezer means. Now, down south, they don't name their little boys Ebenezer. But up in Vermont, New Hampshire, and Maine, and those strongholds of the old remnants of the Puritans and the English pilgrims that came over in the Buttercup, I mean the Mayflower, uh, they... Uh, they name their little boys Ebenezer. It's a very common, commonly named known in New England. Uh, but you never hear it, never hear it. I don't know, I've, I don't think I've ever met anybody in Texas by that name. Sure, sure enough, I never met anybody in Alabama by that name. Uh, or, in, or in Mississippi, or in Bogalusa, Alabama, or Louisiana. Uh, they don't name their boys when the baby's born. They don't name him Ebenezer. That's an awful name to tack onto a poor little innocent baby. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, uh. But the word Ebenezer is a good Bible proper name, and I'll tell you where it occurs. I have to tell you a little story first. The Philistines ruled over Israel, and the Philistines represented the powers of this world, the flesh, and they ruled over God's people, and that's never God's will. And the Israelites were paying a tax, a tribute to the Philistines, and that represents the Christian who is paying a tax to the flesh. You see, when the flesh predominates, when the flesh dominates, and you're bound by the flesh, and you're bound by those worldly habits. I won't go so far as to say you're not a Christian, but, uh, but you're bound by the Philistines, and, and, they've, and, and they've taken all your weapons of warfare away from you, and you're, you're just a servant to the Philistines. That's an awful shape to be in. Well, when, they, when the Israelites were in, were in that condition and the Philistines reigned over them, the old gray beards, the old saints were longing for the good old days when the power fell. I mean, they were longing for the days when the Ark of the Covenant was at Shiloh 
And so they went around weeping. Oh, if we only could get back to good old days. And Samuel came along and told them what to do. He said, clean house, reform, let's have a prayer convocation down at Mizpah. So the whole place, all Israel, had a prayer convocation down at a little wide spot in the road called Mizpah. Samuel was the first circus rider, I mean circuit rider. He had three charges, Gilgal, Gibeah, and Mizpah. And he spent four months out of each year at each place and judged Israel. And he had an altar at each place ready to pray. And the nearest spot they happened to be right then was down at Mizpah. So he said, or he happened to be living at Mizpah right then. So he said, come on down to Mizpah. We'll, let, let's have a prayer convocation. You know, you want the power of God to fall and you want God to do something for you. It, it, it's not a bad idea to start to pray. Did you know that? Not a bad idea to start to clean house and do a little reforming in your own strength. Not a bad idea. Show God that you really want it. That, that's the doctrine of John the Baptist. Bring forth fruits meet for repentance. Lay the evidence out there so God can see it, that you really mean business. Clean house and get rid of your sins and turn away from your transgressions and break down the idol altars and turn to God. And that's what Samuel told Israel then. He said, tear down the idols of Ashtaroth and Baal behind the door. Let's go down to Mizpah to pray. And so they did. They cleaned house. They turned away from their idols. And they met down in this holy prayer convocation down at Mizpah. And they started to pray. And the, and the Philistines saw it, mobilized their forces, marched against Israel to exterminate them. And the Israelites said, oh, Samuel, pray for us. My, look, they're coming with their iron chariots and their glittering coats of mail and their shining burning spears and their swords and their armament and we don't even have a we don't even have a grindstone to put an edge on our hoe or our rake and we don't even have a stiletto we don't even have a switchblade knife we're pet we're powerless and that's what happens when you backslide and lose your touch with God and dry up and lose the anointing the devil takes away all your weapons of warfare you can't pray your prayers go three feet high and bounce back and hit you in the face you lose your testimony and you're powerless and, you're, and you, do, you don't have any faith and you just worry along the best way you can one day at a time. Oh, you haven't denied the faith, but you're in a sorry state spiritually. And so Samuel said, oh, here they come. And they meant business. Pharaoh meant business and the Egyptians were drowned in the Red Sea. Yes. Hitler meant business and they never found his corpse. Yeah, Hitler tried to exterminate them. They never found the body. What's his name? Who's a Mussolini? Mussolini, they used to call him. Mussolini. He said, "Yeah, we're going to exterminate the rascals, the Jews," and they turned. They hung him upside down and shot him full of holes up there in the Italian or Alps or someplace. And I'll tell you, you can't. You, anybody lays their finger on God's people, even his earthly backslidden apostate people. You lay your hand on them, you're in, you got your mother's monkey in trouble. I mean, you're, you're, you, you got God on your hands because God's got his hand on them. And so uh, these Philistines didn't know it, but they were on the losing side. They were going to literally go down and wipe the Israelites off the face of the earth. They were tired of monkeying with them. They were tired of bothering with them. And they were going to commit genocide. That's the murder and 
mass destruction of a whole uh, uh, race, nation, genocide. Wipe, wipe them off the face of the earth. Uh, but, but there was a way out. Oh, they said, Samuel, pray for us. Oh, look, they're coming. Pray for us. And Samuel said, they've been praying. They've been confessing. He'd been pouring water out, confessing we're as helpless as water spilled on the ground. They'd been going through all that, and still that God's intervention didn't come. But when the Philistines came down and the Israelites were, had reached the final crisis, Samuel said, get me a lamb, quick. First Samuel, chapter 7, middle of the chapter somewhere, he said, get me a lamb, a sucking lamb, an innocent lamb. And they said, here's one right here. And they grabbed it, and Samuel pulled out his sacrificial knife and slapped it on the altar and slit its throat and squeezed out the blood of that little trembling slain lamb. And the blood ran down all over the altar, and Samuel's fire was already kindled on the altar. He rearranged the wood, and the, and the fire began to burn on the altar and burn the carcass of the offering of the whole burnt offering of the sucking lamb, which was also a sin offering, and as the greasy smoke wended its way heavenward, God looked down and saw it. Says, ah, now they've really touched my heart. They could clean house, but I couldn't bless them just for cleaning house. They could pray, but I couldn't bless them just because they prayed. They could confess their weakness and spiritual bankruptcy, but I, I couldn't bless them just because of that. Because God don't bless us because of the buckets of tears we shed. God blesses us because Jesus died on Calvary. God answers our prayers because Jesus died on Calvary. Now, all these other things are necessary. Now get this, they're necessary adjuncts to our getting through to God. A lot of preachers say, oh, no, those things don't count. Therefore, don't cry, don't pray, don't, don't do anything. Just, just read it with your eyeballs in cold-blooded faith and say, I believe it, and, and, uh, and the work is done. It's not done. Amen. You'll still be bound by your cigarettes, and you'll still be bound by your lager beer, and you'll still be bound by your lust. You'll still be bound by your secret sins. I know what I'm talking about. Yeah. It takes more than that takes more than anything that we could ever do in our own power. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. And when God looked down and saw the smoke of the whole burnt offering, he said, someday on a hill right nearby, my son is going to shed his blood. And this sucking lamb burning on that altar is telling me that they have faith that I'm going to provide a sacrifice. And God said, for the sake of my son Jesus, who is someday going to go down there among them and walk among them and talk among them and be one of them, yet without sin, and he's going to be their substitutionary sacrifice of which this lamb is a foreshadow and a type for his sake, I'll answer prayer. And the heavens grew dark, and the lightning flashed, and the hailstones came and beat the Philistines down, and it didn't hit a Jew. It didn't hit an Israelite. Yes, sir, I'll tell you, when God starts, starts to deal with this old world, he's going to take care of his people. There was darkness in Egypt, but the land of Goshen had light. There was locust frogs and lice and flies all over Egypt, but there wasn't a Jew in Goshen that got a flea bite. Praise the Lord. 
glory to God and the Lamb forever. They, all the rest of the Egyptians drank blood, but Israel drank water. They didn't drink blood. They were, they were under God's protection. In Egypt, I'm talking about. Oh, hallelujah. And so God thundered against Israel, and the word is discomfited them. You ever hear the word discomfited? You ever hear anybody come say, oh, I was so discomfited. No, they don't talk like that today. That's obsolete English. And it doesn't mean discomfort. You were deprived of comfort. It doesn't mean that. It's a strange word. It means that God came in and interfered with them, and it's only used a few times in, in, in the King James Version of the Scripture, and it's always used to indicate a time or an experience wherein God came down and, and, and dealt with Israel's enemy by direct supernatural power without human means. Hallelujah. Glory to God. By direct supernatural intervention. Samuel took a sucking lamb, and the victory came, and the Israelites went out and swooped up the swords of the castaway swords and spears and the armaments of the fleeing Philistines, and they pursued them and gave them hail Columbia all the way down, it says, until they got under Bethkar. I never have been able to find it on the map. They chased them clear across the state line and out of existence. Glory to God. Hallelujah. And then Samuel said, come around now. Now we're going to have a jubilee. Now we're going to have a Pentecostal praise meeting. And he took a stone, set it up on end, dumped a, I mean emptied, a, I mean poured a horn of holy oil, anointing oil on it, the same as he poured on Saul's head. Hallelujah. See? He poured that holy anointing oil on that stone and said, the name of this thing is Ebenezer. It means hitherto hath the Lord helped us. And I want to say to every beat down, discouraged, weary, the child of God, you're plodding on and punching a time clock and you're fighting the world and the flesh and the devil and you feel a little bit discouraged and a little bit dismayed and, and you'd like to get through to God. I want to say, do you look back and look, look back at those Ebenezers that you've been able to raise on your pilgrimage from earth to heaven ever since God saved you six weeks ago or 60 years ago, whenever it was, thank God I've been able to raise some Ebenezers. Amen. And I can sing, here I'll raise my Ebenezer, there by thy help I'll come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. I got a pitch too high. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God, he to rescue me from danger, interposed this precious blood. And when the devil gets too much for me, I can take him by the scruff of his dirty neck and take him back to a hill called Calvary and say, devil, there's my Ebenezer. Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. I can take him back to where three times he raised me from the very brink of the cold river of Jordan and brought me back 
to comparative vigor and health again. Blessed be God, and I can say, Devil, I'll raise my Ebenezer. Have you got an Ebenezer? Remember when you sought and prayed and you couldn't get through and unless God reached down his hand and touched you? Raise an Ebenezer. Raise a monument in your memory. Hallelujah. A sacred place where you'll be able to take all your thoughts and, 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 uh, and, 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 and. What's the word I want? You can survey. And you can, you can survey all the future, and you can, you can survey your present status before God, and you can navigate from those, from those historic uh, pivot points in past history where Jesus helped you. Did, did he help you? How many can say, I got an Ebenezer? Maybe you never called it that, but now when I talk, you know what I'm talking about, and you can say, I got an Ebenezer. Glory to God. When there was no arm to save and no eye to pity, God some way worked the thing out and turned the black clouds inside out and turned everything around, and the sun began to shine and brought me out on top, and I still don't know how he did it. That was that, that's your Ebenezer. You can have more than one Ebenezer in your life. I got at least a dozen in my life where Jesus came through and, 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 and delivered me all because of calvary that's what ebenezer means oh, i'm glad i got an i'm glad i have an ebenezer Amen. can you look back at some deliverance from harm we had a preacher in ghana back in those days it was called gold coast it was still a british british crown colony this this young man was mightily anointed of the holy ghost I haven't time to tell you his case history, but he was being phenomenally used of God in apostolic style ministry. The sick were being healed. Really, I, I know what I'm talking about. I knew him. I wasn't there in the field all the time or even for a term, but I visited there on a couple of occasions, met the young man. He got, he got the baptism of the Holy Ghost got saved and got the baptism of the Holy Ghost in Brother and Sister Garlock's front room in their little humble rondavel home in Tamale, Ghana, years ago. That was before Goodwin went out. This was in 1932. That's ancient history. Yes, well, this boy got wonderfully through to God, got baptized in the Holy Ghost, went through World War II, stood true to God, Went all over Africa as a chauffeur for a British officer in the British Army. Came back to Gold Coast, was a government clerk down at the beach. And then he learned that back in his old capital of his tribe, Kamasi, Ashanti land, they were, uh, they were going to establish a mission there. So he wrote the missionary, and he said, I, I have a little education. I'm saved and baptized in the Holy Ghost. I'm not a novice. I've been true to God now for quite a few years. And uh, God has given me some measure of success in preaching. He said, I feel that God has spoken to me to come and be the pastor of that church. The missionary said, glory be to God. He's the boy we're looking for. And he grabbed him, so brought him up there, made him the pastor of the new little infant mission. And this young man went out and, uh, well, anyway, I'll, he got launched into a marvelous ministry of deliverance and healing and, and uh, filled with the Holy Ghost. He missed more meals in fasting than he, than he counted meals that he ate. 
You'd eat one meal and fast two or three meals. You'd eat two meals and fast four meals. He spent most of his time fasting. He was skinny as a rail when I met him. But he was mightily anointed with the Holy Ghost. See, in order to get God's best, there's always a price connected with it. Amen. I don't mean you can fast your way into the favor of God. I don't mean that at all. That's, that's the wrong view of fasting. But anyway, this man was, was really phenomenally used of God. The first great thing that God did for him in the ministry was he went into a town and there was an insane woman chained to a tree in the middle of the town or a post of some kind. And uh, it wasn't because the natives wanted to be cruel to her, but because to keep her from killing herself or killing them, she was a raving, I guess you'd call it a paranoid maniac. She was a rip-raven, devil-possessed maniac. God said, go over and pray for her and cast the devil out of her and I'll heal her. And he said, Lord, what if, what if it don't work? What if it doesn't work? I'll be the laughing stock of the tribe. They'll, why, I, I, I can't do that. And so he argued back with the Lord like Moses argued with God at the burning bush. But at last God won. He said, all right, here goes nothing. He went over the tree, this raving animal-like creature full of the devil, raging, raving maniac, commanded the devils to come out of her. She wilted, reason returned almost instantly, told her to believe on Jesus Christ, repent of her sins. She did. He went and got, he went and got the key to the padlock, chained with the arms behind her around this post to keep her from doing herself injury, and he unlocked the padlock and stayed in that town day and night for about a week, preaching constantly on his feet while the natives were getting saved and falling under the power of God, getting the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And before he left, there was a good, strong native church, and he got one of the more intelligent older men of the town that seemed to really get a grip of God, and he put him in as the, as the presiding elder and said, I'll be back as soon as I can. Stories like that were repeated again and again and again and again. I want to tell you a little story about this, this young man. He was having terrific success. The, the weekly crowds were up around 500, 600, 800,000. Anything special going on was a couple thousand there. I mean, night after night. This was just in the open air. Couldn't get brush arbor big enough to hold them, although they did have a couple little brush arbors built there. And, uh, but, but the crowds were there. People were getting saved. Phenomenal New Testament apostolic ministry followed this young man. And uh, one night he was going home. He had, quite a, he had quite a long ways to walk because he was a Pentecostal preacher. He didn't live in the affluent part of town. He lived way down yonder and passed a little patch of woods, just like in the city of Wichita Falls, there are patches of woods and there are little lonely spots. Well, he had to go down through past a lonely spot and a little patch of woods and there was a little creek there. Are, are they able to hear me? Am I loud enough? Yeah. I think so. And so, so, uh, he was, it was a dark night, little moonlight, a little glimmering of starlight. As he was going along, making his way home, a mile and a half or two miles from where the meetings were, going down through this place, the Spirit of God said, stop. So he stopped, 
the Spirit of God says there's somebody laying for you down there. They're waiting to kill you. There's down a little path, down a little declivity, a little incline, where the creek flowed down bottom of this little declivity and, and patch of woods. Woods always grows where it grow where there's water. And so it was dark, pitch dark down there. And so he stopped and he didn't know what to do. He said, well, somebody's down there waiting to kill me and I want to go home. My wife's waiting for me. She'll wonder what happened to me. I can't stand here all night. I don't know what to do. So he prayed a little bit. And he said, who's there? No answer. He said, who's there? No answer. But he knew somebody was there, couldn't see them. But the Spirit of God spoke to him and said, somebody's waiting for you down there to kill you. So he says, man or devil, here I come in the name of Jesus Christ. And he ran ahead in order to bolster up his courage, you know, and overcome his fear, give him a little shot of adrenaline, and, and he started to run he, in the darkness on this little path, not a road, just a little path. And he, he ran down, got to the little creek, oh, maybe six inches of water, four or five inches of water, uh, 10 or 15 feet wide. And uh, as he got down there, he discerned there was a man laying in the creek. So he said, he'll drown if I don't get him out. So he grabbed him and pulled him up on the bank and said, who are you? And the man said, don't hurt me, don't hurt me, please don't kill me. Well, he said, I'm not going to kill you. Who are you? What are you doing here? He said, the devil society, now I'm putting it in English, you see. The devil society hired me to assassinate you tonight. Nobody knows I'm here. And I was to ram this spear. He had a spear. I was to ram this spear through you when you came home on the path tonight. They were going to pay me plenty to shut up all this salvation business. I was going to kill you. And so the Pentecostal preacher picked up the spear. The fellow was laying. Oh, but he, he said, I was standing here waiting to jump on you and ram the spear through you as you walked past in the darkness. But he said, when you yelled, who's there, I got scared. Of course, I wouldn't answer. And when you yelled, man or devil, here I come in the name of Jesus Christ, I was instantly paralyzed and fell into the creek. He said, I couldn't stand, I couldn't speak, I couldn't move. And so Chi then saw the spear and picked up the spear and put it down on this, this fellow was laying on his back on the ground. He put it right over his heart. And the preacher said, now look, you just said nobody knows you're here. Nobody knows you're supposed to be here except the assassins. I mean, the secret society, they'd never tell. And he said, I could just ram this spear through your heart. God has delivered you into my hands. And don't you think that they wouldn't do it to each other? They do all the time. In the South African locations, the dead wagon goes around every morning in a location of 30,000 people and brings out five, six, seven, eight, fifteen, or twenty dead bodies that have been killed the night before in their drunken orgies. That goes on every day in the locations of South Africa where we labored for two years. Don't you think they, 
They don't, they don't think much of ramming a spear through each other. And the fellow says, please don't, please don't. And the preacher said, if you will come to my meeting tomorrow night and stand up and confess all that you've told me, and then you'll repent and give your heart to Jesus Christ, I'll pray for you right now, and this paralysis will be lifted from you. But you promised me, he said, I'll promise you anything. I'll do anything. Yes, I'll come to your meeting. I'll tell everybody what I did. I'll tell the whole business, and I'll confess, and I'll repent, and I'll be a Christian. I'll do anything you say. So she said, Lord God, raise him up. And instantly, the paralysis was all gone. So she sent that fellow home more white than black. He was scared, spitless. And he went home, and the next night, And the next night he was there in a vast crowd. He got up and told the whole story and said, now I want to repent. I want to give my heart to Jesus. Got down, got saved, got the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You mean to say that preacher don't have an Ebenezer? Glory to God. Ever after that, whenever things got rough on him, he could say, that fellow tried to kill me at the creek. That's my Ebenezer. You get my thought? Here I'll raise my Ebenezer. Oh, I thank God for the Ebenezers we got all along the way where God has stepped in to deliver us. That's what I mean. Remember when God stepped in to deliver you from physical harm, accident, danger, disease, or death? Remember when God stepped in to, to deliver you from uh, 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 situations that you'd look it would look pretty bad on you if God didn't come to your help? Remember when the lies were being told and, and everything was, oh, the web of circumstances was being woven about you and your character was about to be ruined and uh, you'd, almost, you'd almost have to leave town. I'm just inventing theoretical, hypothetical situations. But you know what I'm talking about, but you got down and said, Jesus, help me. And some way, miraculously, the whole thing cleared up and you were vindicated. That's an Ebenezer. Glory to God in the Lamb forever. And so I want to say, we can say, looking back, we can say Ebenezer. Now we're going to look around. Here it is. Now that's, that scripture is in 1 Samuel 7th chapter 12th verse. Now here we have one in uh, Matthew Chapter 1, verse 23. Matthew, the first chapter, and the 23rd verse. I want to see who's talking here. Uh, the angel of the Lord appears to Joseph, not the father of Jesus, but the husband of Jesus' earthly mother, Mary. And the angel quotes the scripture. Is, there, is that where it says Emmanuel? Where does it say Emmanuel? Huh? 123, well, I, I just read it and I couldn't see it. Yeah, there it is. Don't fear to take Mary the wife, that which is conceived is hers by the Holy Ghost, and she shall bring forth the Son, call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. That's Joshua, Savior. Behold, for the, this, is for spoken, this is that which was spoken by the Lord, spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. You ever hear people talking about Emmanuel day by day in ordinary conversation? No, I said it's an unusual word, and it is an unusual word. About the only time we ever hear it is at Christmas time when the little kids get on the platform and the Christmas 
drama, and they say, Hail to the King Emmanuel. Hail to the King Emmanuel, Emmanuel, we love so well. That's, that's about the only time you ever hear the word Emmanuel. But Emmanuel, by, interpret, by interpretation, is God with us. Amen. Hallelujah. You know, all the sweet psalms that David ever wrote couldn't bring salvation. All the thundering frowns and lightnings of the thunderings of the law from the scowling Mount Sinai couldn't bring salvation. All the oratory of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel, all the prophecies and visions and dreams and all the gray horses and white horses and pale horses of Zechariah and all the rest of them, they couldn't bring salvation. Daniel coming out of the lion's den couldn't bring salvation. The three Hebrews through the fiery furnace couldn't bring salvation. The Israelites walking dry shot over the Red Sea couldn't bring salvation. Everything came short of bridging the awful gulf of sin that separated us eternally from God. It took God manifest in the flesh. It took God himself wrapped in the habiliments and the, and the garments of our fleshly humanity formed in the mystery of, the, of, of natural birth in the womb of the virgin by the power of God's intervening might through the energy of the Holy Ghost to bring God in the flesh. And his name shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. Hallelujah. And when he came, he bridged the gulf. Hallelujah. He bridged the gulf. Every ladder that was ever thrown up against the battlements of heaven to get us out of the quagmire of sin and eternal damnation, it all was thrown up against heaven and came short. The ladder wouldn't reach. The ladder wouldn't reach. But one day Jesus came and thanked God standing on earth. He was able to reach because he was God in the flesh. And that ladder reached and the angels of God were seen ascending and descending upon him. Glory to God in the Lamb forever. Well, that's hard of my heart. I can't stand here and talk about these tremendous truths and say, ta, 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 ta. I got to get excited and tell it out. Oh, hallelujah. Hail to the King Emmanuel. Thou art worthy. Thou art worthy to receive glory and honor. And power, power and glory. I'll have to learn that scripture. That's a great chorus. Yes, it is. That's him worshiping. When it says, For thou hast created all things. Oh, that touched me. That went through me. Whew. Glory to God. I remember when I, 58 years ago, when I was on the flat of my back under the mighty power of God, the old lady in charge of the meeting says, Yes, Jesus, this is what you made us for. This is what you made us for. This is, this is the mystery of why we are. This is the mystery of our existence. You made us for yourself. And I got the revelation. Creation was made for God. The Amen. devil's a usurper. And you were made. Your physical body was made for the glory of Jesus Christ. He made you the way you're made in order that he might dwell in you and get glory to his own name. You'll never be satisfied until your proper guest comes in and inhabits and dwells within you and possesses you. He made you. He owns you. 
He demands you with a double ownership by the right of creation and by the right of blood redemption. Oh, glory to God and the Lamb forever. And I want to be submissive and yielded to his hands, in his hands, that he might dwell in me. Oh, hallelujah. Emmanuel. Emmanuel. Now, I want to illustrate this in just one God with us. I just have time. Well, I, I got 15 illustrations, but I want to give you one. God said in Exodus, where? 25.8, he said, Speak to the children of Israel that they build me a sanctuary that I might dwell with them. Glory to God. Now, God talked to Adam. God talked to Enoch. Enoch walked with God, and God translated him. God talked to Abraham. God talked to Isaac. God talked to Jacob and changed the name to Israel. And then there'd be 15 or 20 years in between when God seemed to be dead and they almost forgot he existed. It all sounds as though those old patriarchs just walked and talked to God every day, but they didn't. Don't you think they did? They went on and lived just natural lives and raised the kids and, and uh, scrapped with the other herdsmen and had to fight for their existence like everybody else. Once in a while, once, once every 15 or 20 years, 25 years, God appeared to Abraham, and he went on the strength of that for another spell, quarter of his life or something. And God would come down and tell him something else, and he went on the strength of that. Uh-huh. Read it. Read between the lines. And so, God did not dwell absolutely permanently with Abraham on the basis of promise. He, God said to Joshua, as I was with Moses, so will I be with thee. Moses came pretty close to having the, the abiding dwelling of God with him. And in a very real sense, God did abide with Moses. Any of the other patriarchs? I haven't time to enlarge on it. My mind is dull. I can't think of the scriptures that I wanted to bring in. But I do know this. I know when God said to Moses, tell the Israelites to build me a sanctuary, they pulled off their necklaces and their ear rings and their, and their nose rings and their, and, their, and their finger rings and the rings on their fingers and bells on their toes. They brought all the gold junk that they had, and they brought it. And Moses it went into the, to the decoration of the tabernacle. They brought their wealth to Moses, and Moses had them build the tabernacle. God anointed skilled men to, to build it, as, like God showed Moses how to build it, and Moses told them, and they built it the way Moses said so. That's right. Now you come to the, you come to the uh, uh, 40th chapter of Exodus, in the 29th verse, they get this tabernacle built. The purpose of the tabernacle was that it might be a dwelling place for God, God said, tell them to build me a tabernacle that I may dwell with them. 
And so they get over into the 40th chapter of Exodus and says Moses built the altar and he built the ark and he built this and he built that and he built the laver and he built the brazen altar and he built the hangings and he built the boards and he built the coverings and he built this and that and the other thing. He finished the whole business and then you get to the 29th verse and he put them all in order. He erected it together, of course with the help of the Levites and, and the sons of Aaron. And he put the altar of burnt offering by the door of the tabernacle of the tent of the congregation and offered upon it the burnt offering and the meat offering as the Lord commanded Moses. Now read right across the column into the next column, skip about six verses, and it says, Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Hallelujah. When? after the burnt offering and the sin offering and the, the offerings were offered up and surrender and yield, but until by faith we claim the merit of the blood and offer by faith, not through the mass, but by faith we claim the merit of Jesus' blood pressing into the presence of God, into the Holy of Holies by the new and living way which he made for us, by the shedding of his blood through his rent veil, that is to say his flesh, into the presence of God for soul, we by faith come that way claiming the merit of Jesus. Then what happens? The glory of God in the person of the Holy Ghost comes and fills our tabernacle and God dwells with us. For God said, I will dwell with you in the tabernacle. And God did dwell with them in the tabernacle until Ezekiel saw the glory of the Lord depart in slow stages. And, the, and Jesus wept over Jerusalem saying, your house is left unto you desolate. Your house is left unto you desolate. But God did not leave himself without a dwelling place or a habitation. He moved over to 120, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, was one of them. In the upper room on the day of Pentecost, when, based on the merit of Christ, shed blood on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, the Holy Ghost left heaven and came down and filled the 120 with the Holy Ghost. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there, and she spoke in tongues with all the rest of them. Hallelujah to God and the Lamb forever. Hallelujah. And everybody that put pen to ink, to papyrus or to, or to sheepskin to record anything that's recorded in the New Testament or tongues-talking Pentecostal people. Hallelujah to God and the Lamb forever. Oh, praise the Lord. Emmanuel, he's dwelling with us. He's here with us to comfort us. To, he said, I will commune with thee before the mercy seat. From above the mercy seat, I will commune with thee. Are you having communion? You can. You're robbing yourself if you're not if you're not having communion. He that dwelleth, Psalm 91, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. What's that secret place of the Most High? What's the secret place of the Most High? What's the he that dwelleth that shall abide under the shadow of the of the Almighty. What is that? That's the Holy of Holies. And we are brought into the Holy of Holies in this sanctuary. 
this, this plan of God, this experience of, in God, we are brought into the holiest place of all when we come through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, through his broken body on Calvary's cross, and the glorious infilling of the Holy Ghost himself, and he dwells within us, and he communes with us from before the mercy seat. Hallelujah. He communes with us, and God is in us. He's with us. I'm talking about Emmanuel. Emmanuel is with us to, com to commune with us. He's with us to protect us, as I just spoke about this African preacher out there. Again and again, they shoved a bundle of dynamite sticks under his bed one night to blow him to kingdom come. But the dynamite fuse didn't go off. It scared the assassin half to death. And in the morning, he came and said, I want to talk to you. Told the preacher what happened. The preacher thought he was drunk. You tried to blow me up with a bundle of sticks of dynamite. Got it, stole it from some of the mines out there. Said, yes, I, I'm a dynamiter. I know how to ha handle dynamite. He said, there's a, there's a bundle of sticks of dynamite under your cot right now in this little African hut. And the preacher said, I think you're crazy. Come around the back of the hut, I'll show you. And, and he dug a hole dug a hole with a stick or a knife or something, dug a hole through the six or eight inches thick of mud wall. He dug a hole right under where he knew the preacher's cot was and shoved this bundle of sticks of dynamite in there, set the fuse and ran to a safe distance and waited and waited and waited and waited and waited and the thing never went off. And he waited and waited and he was an expert dynamiter. And it never went off, and it never went off, and he had sense enough to wait until he knew it was absolutely safe. And he went up, and about one inch before the fuse burned to the cap to blow that preacher to smithereens, an angel of Almighty God came down and wet his thumb and finger and put the thing out. And the preacher said, you come to the meeting tonight and stand up and confess before the whole crowd. They can come and see the dynamite and they can see the snuffed out fuse one inch before the thing went off. And God won't strike you dead. And if you don't come, God only knows what'll happen to you. And that poor fellow came and confessed before the multitudes of what he'd done. No wonder people were getting saved and baptized in the Holy Ghost and healed. Glory to God and the Lamb forever. You know what I'm talking about? He's dwelling with us. Praise the Lord. He's dwelling with us to save us, to protect us. He's dwelling with us to heal us. But what if he doesn't heal us? Bless God, sudden death is sudden glory. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Old coal miner wrote a song back in Wilkesboro or someplace back there in the anthracite mines many, many years ago. Grace there is to make me fit to shout glory in the pit when with lumps of coal, I, coal I'm hit. Jesus saves. Let the coal be softer, hard, working by the day or yard. Perfect peace is my reward. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. From the fear of pit explosions, Jesus saves. In the pit from sin set free, why sudden death would glory be? That is why I shout with glee, Jesus saves. Hallelujah. Oh, glory to God. You can't, you can't beat a Christian. You can't keep a good man down. That's what the whale said when he swallowed Jonah. Glory to God. And oh, I'll tell you, well, Jesus is dwelling with us. He's with us. Well, the meetings aren't like they used to be. 
A bunch of young people used to come to me and say, Well, Pastor, you tell us about the good old days and how they danced in the Spirit and how they fell under the power and how they saw visions and how they prophesied. Bring it out. We're not opposed to it. We'd like to say it. And there I was tongue-tied. I didn't know what to say to them. I said, Well, huh, mm, uh. I couldn't trot it out like you, like you serve hamburgers. It don't work that way. And one day God gave me the answer. I said, oh, you'd like to see it? You pay the price today that we paid back there. You go down and bawl and squall and cry and give up absolutely everything. Obey your parents. Obey the establishment. We didn't use those terms, but that's what it meant. Obey the establishment, this, that, the other. None of your business. Do as you're told. The Word of God says, children, obey your parents, for this is right. Do as you're told. Line up. Be humble. Don't talk, no back talk. Give up the world. Conform not yourself to the weak and buggerly things of the world. Be not conformed to this world. You know what some of these new revisions and new renderings say? Don't follow the silly fads of passing fashion. Well, that's in the Word of God. Why don't we do it? We say, no, this is, this is the way they're doing it, and this is the in thing, and so I'm going to do the in thing, and God says, help yourself. But he sends leanness in your soul, and you can't blame the preacher for not trotting it out. You pay the price that the old saints paid 40, 50, 60 years ago, and you'll have the same results today. Absolutely, you'll have the same results today. What, well, what's the price? Fast and pray. Stick on your knees. Stay on your knees. Don't miss a meeting. Keep your head buried in the Word of God. Study the, study the Word of God. Obey, obey the promptings of the Spirit of God. Keep yourself clean. And the least little thing that you grieve the Spirit, get up and confess it and say, I, I did not blurt out all your private life to the public. They, none of their business. They don't want to hear it, and it's not glorifying to God for you to tell anybody. Tell God and keep it button your lip between you and God. Understand? The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses from all sin. But it's the pussyfooting around that we really don't get to the, we don't get to Calvary's altar. That's why we don't feel the dwelling of the glory and the Shekinah that we'd like to feel. And I'm just telling you how it's done. Hallelujah. But he's still with us. He's still with us. He's still with us to display his glory as in bygone days. He's oh, still with us God. to display his glory. He's with us, Emmanuel, to answer prayer. When there's no, you come to the Red Sea place in your life where in spite of all you can do, there's no way out, there's no way back, there's no other way but through. Then look to the Lord with the trust serene till the night of your fear is gone. He'll send the wind, he'll heap the floods. He says to your soul, go on. And his hand will lead you through, clear through, ere the watery walls roll down. No foe can reach you. No sea can touch. No mightiest sea can, no wave can touch. No mightiest sea can drown. The tossing billows may rear their crest, their foam at your feet may break, but over their bed you will walk dry shod in a path that your Lord doth make. In the morning watch neath the lifted cloud, you shall see but the Lord alone where he leads you on from the place by the sea to a land that you have not known. And your fears shall pass as your foes have passed. You shall be no more afraid. You will sing his praise in a better place, a place that his hand hath made. Hold on to your faith and cast not away your confidence, seeing that that's so great a recompense and reward. Jesus is with us. Hallelujah, whether you feel him or not, he's with us. He's never died, he's never changed his mind, he's never changed his plan. He 
said, I'm with you to the end, even to the very end of the age. Hallelujah. It's here tonight. Feeling? Yes. Everybody sing with me, he is Lord. Go ahead, sing it out loud. He is Lord. Sing it. He is risen from the dead. Put your hand up and sing it. He is Lord. Every Christ is Lord. His name is Emmanuel. Not God will visit you, but God is with us. He's never changed his name. He's with us. Hallelujah. He's with us. I got another word. Strange word. First Corinthians. I'm through. First Corinthians. 16.22. 1 Corinthians 16.22. I think that's what it is. Can't be. No. Funny man, love not the Lord Jesus Christ. Let him be anathema. Maranatha. Where is it? 16, well, I can't see 22. Yeah, there it is. 1 Corinthians 16, that's what I thought it was. 16.22. If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be cursed. Why, Paul, you don't have love. Why, Paul, you're saying if anybody doesn't love Jesus, let him be lost? Well, that's what Paul said. I don't think he was full of the devil. I don't think he was full of hate. I think he was full of the love of God and packed full of the Holy Ghost. But Paul was speaking about the final judgment. He was speaking about men's eternal destiny. If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, well, let him be cursed. That means lost. That's horrible, isn't it? And then he says another word. He says, Maranatha. What's that mean? What did he talk English? Let him be anathema. That's Greek. That means cursed. Maranatha. I don't think that's Greek. I think that's something else they rang in there. Honest. Well, you look it up. I don't think it's Greek. I forget. Maranatha, I know what it means. It means the Lord cometh. Hallelujah. Oh, they're going to raise the rent. Maranatha. Gas is going to go to a dollar and a half a gallon. Maranatha. Amen. Cars are going to go to $12,000 a car in the next couple of years. Maranatha. Oh, maybe we'll have to stay in this building until Jesus comes. Maranatha. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Maybe Johnny Jump Up won't graduate. He's trying to slow in his lessons. Maybe he won't make it. My, maybe my children will never be children of renown, and our names will never be in the high leading columns of the social column. Maranatha. 
Maybe Bill's arthritis is going to get work, worse when he loses his job. Maranatha. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I had an old pioneer prospecting uncle had been lost for about 40 years, and I found him out, out in Arizona. Poor old duffer, I found him in a lonely cabin up a, up a canyon. Literally, I found him. Uncle Frank, my wife's brother, left home when he was 16. He was now in his 80s. I said, how old are you, Uncle Frank? He didn't know me from Adam. He didn't know I existed. There's only been about four letters in, in, in pretty near 70 years between him and any members of the family. He was an old prospector. He didn't drink. He didn't use tobacco in any form. And he didn't use any profanity. And I suspected maybe he was saved. I said, Uncle Frank, are you saved? Well, he said, I just don't know what you mean. Well, I said, are you a Christian? He said, well, he said, I guess I don't know. Well, I said, what I'm getting at is, I see I... In your little cabin here, I see no signs of liquor, no beer cans, no whiskey bottles, no signs of cigars or pipes or snuff or plugs of tobacco. You don't use tobacco. And I said, I've been in your cabin here for about three hours now talking to you, and you haven't used one word of profanity, or as far as that's concerned, one slang word. I said, how is that? Well, he said, only a fool would want to use tobacco. And only a, only a fool would want to drink liquor, nothing in that. I said, well, do you mean to tell me ever since you're, you left home that you never drank or smoked? Oh, he said, when I first came out when I was a boy, they got me drunk, and I used to back. I wanted to be a man. And he said, I soon got over that nonsense. I said, no, I never touched the stuff. Why should I? Boy. Boy. So I said, well, are you a Christian? Well, he said, I don't know just what you mean. So I tried to tell him. And he thought a long time. And you know what he said? He said, I'll tell you, Alfred, the way it is, since the Democrats got into Washington, none of us know where we are. <laughs> so I found out one thing. I found out he was a Republican. <laughs> but then I've got greater news for you. I went back the next year. Tom and I went back and found him again. No, no, Tom and I, the first time, the next time, my wife and I went back. Wife and I found him still there. I got him on his knees. He cried like a baby. Oh, the, Lord Jesus the next year he died. Went to heaven. Oh, glory to God. Friends. Hallelujah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. No matter what it is, no matter what the need, no matter what the situation, no matter how dark it looks, no matter how evil the prospects, glory to God. Maranatha, Amen. he cometh. Maybe Amen. we won't be able to refinance the church. Well, Maranatha, he's coming. Hallelujah. Arthur, oh. he never traveled alone. He always took arthritis with him. And another passenger, Ben Gay. Yeah. <laughs> well, we can always take the Lord Jesus Christ with us. Amen. Emmanuel, hitherto with the Lord, help us. We look back, he's helped the seven days, and we look around, Emmanuel, God's with us. You can't, you can't fail for winning. Hallelujah to God in the land forever. And as far as the future's concerned, the fellow wants me to go to Palestine. I think I told him the other night, he wants me to look at the flag of the common market with the Mark 666 on it. Well, I guess I'll go and look at it. I don't know what good it will do me, but I'll look at it. 
the Antichrist is figures rising on the horizon of the world's political situation today, right now, and everything's heading up as fast as an express train, as fast as a jet plane. Things are heading up fast, brother, Amen. and the word of God is being fulfilled. And what do you do? What do we do? What do we do? Let's build a subterranean bomb-proof shelter and hide ourselves and store our store store up 48 cases of camel's pork and beans to keep us during the tribulation. Don't be silly. Maranatha. The Lord in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, when I tell you about a meeting, it was a camp meeting. I was not the speaker. Another man was preaching, a little quiet preacher. He gave a very good little gospel talk that night. When he was about to give the altar call, had a musician there, a pianist. His voice filled all space, filled with Carl's bad caverns, I guess. And, and he, he got at the altar call. He got up and went to the piano, and he started to claw the ivories, and he started to play, there's a blessed time that's coming, coming soon. It may be evening, morning, or at noon. The wedding of the bride united with the groom. We shall see the king when he comes. Of all the outlandish songs to sing for an altar service, you should sing Hark from the Tomb of Doleful Sound or something sad and melancholy and slow. But he sung, and his voice, boy, when he opened his voice, he was like a, like a New Jersey huckster. Boy, you could hear him all over. And the 48 preachers, or 60 preachers on the platform, all looked at him. What in the world? A gas. Bill Robinson was under the power of the Holy Ghost, and he clawed through the second verse, singing at the top of his lungs. And up the aisle comes a little girl, dancing in the spirit. Her eyes tight shut, and she danced right up on the platform. And she danced across the platform and down the other side with her eyes tight shut, dancing down the aisle. And when she got down this side, there was about six more young women dancing up this aisle under the power of the Holy Ghost. God's heaven exploded in that meeting. When the sun came up the next morning, most of the people were still there. People got saved. They got the baptism of the Holy Ghost. The power of God fell. One colored fella, the paid singer. He was, a, he was a trained singer. What a baritone Dr. Dawkins had. Pentecostal people were too holy to have a black branch those days. And so they, so they had a, so he was pastor of the Methodist church. Poor guy couldn't be owned in the assemblies of God. The assemblies of God were, oh, I shouldn't be so sarcastic. But they always said that they never had a black branch. Well, I shouldn't have said that. Forgive me. Don't tell it. But I'll tell it myself. Uh, <laughs> Gloria got himself. Uh, Dr. Dawkins went out like a light on the platform. One of dozens were slain under the power of God. Dozens. I was yeah. talking to old Mrs. Flower just a short time ago, Roswell Flower's widow. I said, were you there, Nanny? She said, I sure was. Is this true? She said, it was. I, stopped, I was right there. Was that true? Yes, I... I left the camp that afternoon, but I heard about it, and I've heard about it ever since. And I wanted to confirm some points, and I asked Mrs. Flower, she said, Lord Flower, here's the most stupendous, most marvelous meeting I was ever in in all my life. I never oh, saw anything like it in my In the morning when the sun was coming up, somebody went over and laid their hand on Dr. Dawkins' head, and it was ice cold. He was like a corpse. And he said, he's dead. <laughs> he's dead. Oh, what a disgrace. In this cloudburst of glory, Dawkins had a heart attack and died. And the other preachers, they went over, Ernest Williams, general superintendent, and a lot of the others, they went over and it felt his heart, no heartbeat, took his pulse, no pulse, cold, clammy, one fellow says, oh, you're just a little hysterical, and he went over and laid his hand on the colored fellow's head, and he took his hand off. He said, my lord, he's a corpse. He's a corpse. He said, oh, he's a corpse. 
Well, the preacher said, this is going to hit the headlines. We're going to be in reproach. The Board of Health will be out here. The police will be out here. What a glorious victory turned into defeat. Let's pray for him. So they got, they got around him and started to pray for him. Oh, God, looks to us like Dawkins is dead. You can't you bring him out. Lord, God, touch him. Dawkins' eyes began to flicker, and they prayed a little harder, and he began to talk in tongues. <laughs> Glory to God. He got up, and they said, what did you see, Dr. Dawkins? And all that darky would say was, it is not law. For lips to utter. They said, but what did you say? He said, it is not law for lips to utter. God took that fellow on a trip the other side of the Milky Way, glory to God, and showed him streets of gold. I don't know what God showed him. How do I know? He, he said, but Brother Dawkins, tell us just a little bit. He said, it is not lawful for lips to utter. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great if some old stick in the muds that were always in the way and dragging their heels got knocked flat under the power of God and laid, laid half dead all night under the glory? Praise the Lord. He came to the next morning saying, I've been to heaven. Praise the Lord. I'll tell you, you'd be on the way to a revival. It wouldn't quit. Everybody stand up. Sister, come to the altar. I mean, come to the organ. And we're all going to sing. It used to be 116. What is it there? We shall see the king when he comes. Get it in the org. Get it in the index. I'll keep talking till you find the number. Praise the Lord. We shall see the king when he comes. There's a blessed time that's coming, coming soon, and I'm closing with this. Ebenezer, look back and there's victory. Look around and there's present victory. Look ahead and there can't be anything but victory if you keep in the secret place of the Most High and hide away in Jesus. There's Ebenezer, Emmanuel, and Maranatha. The Lord cometh. Hallelujah. 144. You don't need to sing it without the book. There's a blessed time that's coming.